This is Papers to Practice, a series where we take important sanitation publications and break them down in 30 minutes. We ask the author directly who should know about the publication or research, and what are the key points so that professionals and practitioners working in sanitation can put these papers to practice. Today's episode is about a paper published this year in 2021 by authors from three different universities in Newcastle, Kampala and Uppsala, Sweden. And it's going to be presented by Dr. Charles Nivagaba. And it's talking about the assessment of the microbial risk of fecal sludge use in Ugandan agriculture by comparing field and theoretical model output. So my name is Dorothy Sproler. I'm a senior researcher and project manager at the Swiss Federal Institute of Aquatic Science and Technologies, and I will host this conversation today. So Dr. Charles Nivagaba is not only a doctor, he's a professor and associate professor of civil and environmental engineering at Makere University in Kampala, Uganda. He has a bachelor and master in civil engineering from the same university and a PhD in environmental technology from the Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences. He has more than 20 years of experience, not only with teaching, but also consultancy in the civil and environmental engineering sector. And he has partners both from governmental but, uh, organizations, but also multilateral agencies. His main topic is water sanitation and solid waste, but he has experience also with hydropower and roads. One of the topics he especially knows about is the production of resources from waste, wastewater, and such as composting, biogas, or fuel. Dr. Nivagaba has co-authored over 100 publications in different journals, conferences, or book chapters. Um, he has also been writing policy briefs. The paper he's going to talk about today is the most recent, and it's definitely also one of the most complex but most relevant ones. So welcome, Dr. Charles. Tell us a little bit about you and how you how you ended up in your work. Oh, yes, I'm Charles Nwaga. As you have correctly said, uh, people uh, call me Dr. Charles, but I don't like that one. So I just want to be called Charles. Um, well, I, I started my career way back around 1995 when I joined the Department of Civil Engineering at Makere University, where I pursued Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering, uh, completing it in 1999. At that time, when I finished civil engineering, it had not come to my mind that actually I would work in sanitation or, or fecal sludge management or uh, what some people would call shit. Of course, uh, the general uh, civil engineering program at Makere exposes students to all topics in water and sanitation, uh, you know, structural design, buildings, highways, and so on. So uh, sanitation uh, and, and, and water were also among the topics that we had studied. However, I was attracted to this sector when a former um, lecturer of mine who now works with the African Development Bank asked if I was interested in pursuing a master program uh, at the university. And uh, when I enrolled, it was now more specific, now no longer the general civil engineering, but a little bit more specific to environmental engineering. 
And then I got introduced to these topics. And at that time, there was also a drive to move uh, concepts of uh, urine source separation. And these concepts were being introduced in Uganda and my uh, former lecturer introduced me to these topics, which I later really liked so much. And uh, that actually started my journey to the PhD where I investigated treatment technologies for so separated human feces and urine. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. So yes. um, the paper you brought today, it's called Assessing the Microbial Risk of Fecal Sludge Use in Ugandan Agriculture by Comparing Field and Theoretical Model Output. Yeah. So regarding this paper, um, who is the intended audience uh, and why should they read it? So this paper, is intended to impact upon the farmer who is actually using uh, fecal sludge, treated fecal sludge from a treatment plant. However, we know well that uh, most farmers, especially in uh, um, our developing countries, may not necessarily know how to read a scientific paper or even access it. However, in the sector, you have practitioners, some of whom perform the role of regulation, the role of certification, uh, the role of monitoring and the uh, performance of treatment plants and or even reuse-based fertilizers. So I think that this paper is very important for the sector, especially for the regulators and monitors, or people are working in the monitoring of treatment plant performances, as well as the monitoring of agricultural reuse of different types of fertilizers, including this particular one, which we think will contribute towards sustainable agriculture. Basically, in Uganda, central region and other parts of Uganda, you have soils uh, losing fertility. You're having a lot of pests coming into crops and damaging them. And therefore now it is difficult for an ordinary farmer, even that under subsistence agriculture, to produce the food at that scale without the use of fertilizers and the pesticides. But we know also that the accessing fertilizers is actually difficult because of Two main reasons. One is that they are expensive. Let's say chemical fertilizers are expensive. But two, they are also not really accessible to some farmers in, in rural context. When you talk about the use of fecal sludge or, or uh, wastewater-based uh, fertilizers, we think these are possible to find everywhere where people are. They are the generators of these resources. And therefore, if captured, we think that they can produce a sustainable easy to use and access and cheaper fertilizer for the sustainable production of their own food. Thank you, Charles. This is the part of the show where we ask the author to break his paper down and tell us what we need to know as practitioners and professionals working in sanitation. In essence, the author will be demystifying sanitation research so we can put it into use. To make it interesting, we will ask sanitation professionals, so you, to ask your questions directly to him. Whenever a concept is too complex or a word is too confusing, the author has to re-explain the concept as simply as possible until we are satisfied with our understanding. So let us get started. Tell us about the use of fecal sludge in agriculture in, in Uganda and how you can assess the microbial risk associated with it and what you essentially found out about it. So first of all, let's maybe introduce one of the key terms, fecal sludge. Uh, when we talk about fecal sludge, we are talking about material that comes from on-site sanitation facilities that could mean 
containment systems such as pits, septic tanks, vaults, and any other containment system on site uh, where the urine and feces are put into that containment, let's say pit or septic tank. And together, there can be other things like anal cleansing material. And we know also that uh, in uh, uh, developing countries, you find some other like refuse, even though it's not supposed to be part of the stream, but you find it there. So what we extract from on-site containment systems, such as pits and pit latrine and septic tanks, is what we are really referring to here as fecal sludge. Basically, when we consume food, this food has got nutrients that it extracted from the soil during the process of growing and manufacturing the food through photosynthesis. When we consume this as adults who are no longer really growing, majority of what we are consuming, apart from just replacing some of the dead cells that we lose, then most of it is actually exiting through our body system as excreta, which is the urine and the feces. The largest proportion of the nutrients that we take in actually exists our body for adults as uh, in urine and feces. What we are saying here is then if you have agricultural, um, you know, land is losing fertility, we consider it a very good way to return the nutrients that in the first place came from agricultural areas and gave us the food. We ate it and then we have uh, excreted this nutrient. So it makes sense to actually return it to the soil uh, to produce more food. However, the challenge is that it is not as simple as that because as the nutrients are going through uh, our body systems uh, via the food that we ate, then they exit our system when they are containing millions of microorganisms, a portion of which are pathogenic. And when I talk about pathogenic, I mean disease causing so they could cause to us a disease. And therefore the need for us to treat it or to understand the magnitude of this problem, how much of the possible contaminants are there that could give us a disease so that we can understand how to either treat it better or, or to implement barriers as we work in the garden, as we produce this food, as we eat it, so that we eat and remain healthy, but not by getting diseases again from the food that we would like to produce in a sustainable manner. So now realizing this problem uh, in Uganda, where the access to fertilizers is complicated by two major factors. One, that the chemical fertilizers are too expensive, and two, they are not easily available to, to everyone. And because of that, we think that fecal sludge or material that comes from on-site containment systems is readily available wherever human beings are. And so if we generate it and process it in a smart way so that it doesn't give us a disease, then we can safely and sustainably use this resource as a fertilizer in our gardens. The beauty with this is that the reuse of fecal sludge as well as other waste-based uh, fertilizers has been increasingly recognized to be extremely important uh, by the Ugandan farmers. And for this reason, they buy all of the fecal sludge that is generated from one of the biggest treatment plants in Kampala, the Ruigi wastewater and fecal sludge treatment plant. And farmers really go there and buy all the sludge that is generated and take it for use in the gardens. However, 
As we know that there are millions of microorganisms, some of which are pathogenic or disease-causing, it was of our own interest to actually assess the microbial risk that is involved among the major, the major stakeholders in this sector, who include the wastewater and fecal sludge treatment workers, the farmers who buy this sludge and go and apply it in their garden, and then uh, the consumer who is eating the food crops that are fertilized by this uh, resource. Obviously, to, to be able to uh, evaluate this risk or to assess this risk, you need to know what microbes are present in the fecal sludge. And uh, we used two ways. One, we used um, a field model and then a theoretical model. Under the field model, we performed measurements from the fecal sludge at the treatment plant as it is after treatment. So at the stage where the farmer will take it, we followed the farmer and went and picked samples from the soil uh, at the farm where this uh, um, um, uh, treated fecal sludge is being applied. We also picked from some other controls where other chemical fertilizers have been applied, as well as where other manure types have been applied. And we also tried to measure on the crops. We, we looked at the crops where this fertilizer had been applied, and these were leafy vegetables. Uh, as well as uh, cabbages. And then uh, the idea was to get these crops and clean them and measure the quantity of microorganisms that are on the leaves. We know that from the uh, production process of the food, then uh, pathogens or the disease-causing microorganisms from fecal sludge are not assimilated within the plant material or within the shoot or within the leaves or within even the seeds and flowers. So the pathogens that we find in this food will be on the surfaces. And therefore by washing them thoroughly, we're able to get the microbial content that is on these leaves. Um, for the field model, uh, we know that one of the major challenges of performing a microbial risk assessment is the lack of data. And our idea was in a situation where data is lacking, can we actually just sample the sludge as it arrives at the treatment plant? And then we use the decay model, whereby the decay we are saying that when the fecal sludge, um, this material from pits and septic tanks arrives at the treatment plant, it goes through treatment processes. For instance, the first one where we screen out particles using sieves, uh, um, aperture screens of 10 millimeter to five millimeter size. So when these big particles are removed, then this, the liquid part goes through a series of treatments like a settling thickening tank and then is pumped to the drying beds. So in the process of treatment, as it arrives with a certain quantity of microbes, we looked at literature that shows how they die, how they change, how they decrease with the time along the treatment process. And then also along the application in the garden and also as the food is maturing and is taken to the table for consumption. So we use these, these decrease in, in quantities along each of these processes, and then compare the results from the theoretical model and from the field model. Uh, surprising, or well, not really surprising, but uh, of course it was good for us to find it because we are saying, can we in a situation where data is lacking, just use results from only this fecal sludge that arrives and then predict what will come out from the food. We found that it's really like not a good way and to, 
that is actually better to invest in collecting this data. So don't rely on just getting microbes from the fecal sludge, but follow the process and make sure that you take samples and actually quantify what is there uh, along the, um, the, the different processes from the treatment through the land application, as well as consumption of the food. This is the theoretical model. Well, I've explained both because for the field model, I've said that we picked samples from the treatment, uh, the treated sludge, and then followed it to the farm and also picked samples from the crops. That's perfect, Charles. So um, I didn't have to stop you any, any moment and I didn't have to ask you, re-explain <laughs> anything. So let me, okay. let me move to the next um, question. What, what did you find? The thing is that the fecal sludge contains pathogenic microorganisms, disease-causing microorganisms, which if not removed or if we don't implement uh, measures to decrease this risk, then we can actually end up falling sick and having more problems uh, using the uh, uh, sludge. So it's very important to be aware of this risk and, and then implement mitigation measures. You find that in the first stage, uh, when we are talking to the treatment plant workers who actually are at a, a much higher risk because they are receiving raw fecal sludge without like any treatment, and then you find that, at the, for instance, the one who is doing the screening, removing the large pieces is really at high risk. Uh, even after the settling thickening tank, when the sludge is being pumped to the sludge drying beds, these really are still high risk areas because there has not been a major process of reducing the pathogens of the microorganisms. But then you find that the treatment plant workers are taking this slightly and um, chewing sugarcane or eating some food next to a drying bed even as sludge is being pumped, um, where it's possible that uh, you can really get uh, affected with even aerosols and on, or just touching surfaces around because the sludge at that moment is still having a lot of uh, pathogenic microorganisms or disease-causing microorganisms, since uh, in the first stages, there is not yet really any reduction measure. So for this, um, one of the things uh, the paper tells them is to really be aware of this risk and stop like eating from next to a drying bed, which is containing more or less fresh sludge that has not yet undergone uh, any sanitization process. And then also when they are working in these um, um, early stage processes where the fecal sludge is still raw, to implement some protective measures, for instance, putting on personal protective equipment, such as overalls, actually in the treatment plant, they are it is mandatory to put on uh, overalls, but sometimes they take it for granted and maybe don't put on hand gloves. Um, uh, and, and then you find that it is possible that they, they can actually get a, 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 a disease. Then the same thing applies even when they are removing this uh, sludge from the beds. The treatment plant itself was designed so that the sludge can be stored. So after removing it from the bed, it is, should be stored. But because the demand is too high and the farmers, even if they are told that the sludge needs to be kept longer to hygienize, they say, no, we want it, give it to us at our own risk. And they take it, it is harvested from the beds by hand and the workers are removing it from hand, throwing it onto the truck. And all these are measures that uh, could put them at risk of uh, contracting 
uh, diseases linked to the organisms that are present in these uh, uh, fecal sludge. So again, implementing barriers or measures such as um, using hand gloves when they are performing these processes, putting on uh, gum boots and uh, overcoats, and most importantly also uh, washing their hands with soap after undertaking these activities and prior to eating their food. Now, when it comes to the farmers, uh, you find that the uh, majority of the farmers in developing countries, at least in our country, uh, especially those who live in the outskirts of the cities, uh, the um, uh, urban rural interface, uh, because again of their low income nature and uh, because of trying to manage life, they always uh, do many things. So they do mixed farming, uh, including even rearing some animals at their home. And some of these animals include chicken, uh, local breeds of, of chicken or hens, and others even keep pigs and goats and all types of animals. And yet, uh, these animals are not actually caged or contained in one place. So uh, in a large part of the day, the animals are actually roaming in the same farm or same uh, agricultural piece of land where fecal sludge is being applied. In the process, even if fecal sludge has not been applied or even it was applied some time ago and there's any decay, then the continuous defecation of these animals into the fields also uh, exerts an additional um, uh, microbes in the environment, which are of course transmitted or transmitted into the soil and later also uh, into the food. Thank you. No, I think this is the part of the show where we really get you to answer the questions of our public. So I have four questions for you. Yes. Let please. me let me start with one. Charles, here yes. is the first question for you. I now invite Daniel Deba to ask first questions. Daniel Deba, and I work at the Stockholm Environment Institute. My work focuses mainly on resource recovery from organic waste streams, so I find this paper very relevant for my everyday work. My question is, what can you say um, about the actual practical implications uh, of your findings? I mean, what should various stakeholders do differently as a result of your findings, especially about the difference between the field model results and the theoretical model results? If you had one key message about the implications, what would you say uh, to the farmers, to the sanitation workers, consumers of food and health inspectors, etc. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dan, for the question. First of all, if I look go to the health inspectors, uh, it is very important for the health inspectors to work together with the, the, um, the operator of the treatment plant, as well as other regulators, for instance, from the regulation unit of the Ministry of Water and Environment in Uganda, or other regulators, in this case, in any other country, to ensure that the data is collected if we have to use sludge or fecal sludge. Data must be collected. We must know what is in this sludge when it is taken. We must know what are the potential risks. These risks must be evaluated. In our case, we have evaluated them. Uh, and what we are saying is that uh, um, a situation where data is not available, uh, using the theoretical model uh, underestimates the risk. Uh, and therefore, it really is not good. It's better we invest in collection of data so that we can have proper evaluation of the microbial risks. To the treatment plant operators, it's very important for them to be aware of the 
microbial risk and stop the practices of eating next to drying beds when sludge is being pumped and instead put on protective uh, measures when they are uh, uh, working in these areas of uh, uh, you know, um, screening and, and uh, grit removal as well as um, sludge drying beds uh, to ensure that they are protected. They put on appropriate PPE, they have them, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, gumboots, the overalls and the hand gloves. And then also after performing these activities, it's very important for them to sanitize, to, to wash their hands with the soap properly um, prior to, uh, to going to eat food. Uh, when they have to go home to their families after the end of the work, they should take out these overalls and wash or, or bathe actually, and then wear uh, the clothes they came with in the morning and go back home you know, because we don't want to also transfer these pathogens from the treatment plant into their homes and uh, to their loved ones. To the farmers, it is very important to be aware of uh, these risks uh, we know that we want sustainable production of food. We want to use nutrients in excreta and sludge, but we want, don't want to use it in a unhygienic manner. And therefore it's very important. Uh, however, if then we, we can uh, act upstream and ensure that the uh, operators of the treatment plant do not sell out unhygienic sludge, it is important that they insist and tell the uh, farmers that this sludge is not safe to buy and therefore we cannot sell it to you. Wait a little bit longer for additional extra storage of about six to 12 months according to WHO World Health Organization standards of 2006 and make sure that the sludge is sold out when it is safe. It is easier to control uh, safety and, 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 and therefore they manage the uh, risks at the level of the treatment plant where you have professional people that can take care of it, they can perform the analysis and sell out sludge that is not having pathogens. Because we know that the subsistence farmers are unlikely to have any means and methods of performing studies to determine what microorganisms and the microbial risk that is involved. Uh, but having said that, considering the fact that the farmers are having animals in their compounds, which are also roaming in the gardens, and spreading also pathogens in the environment. Uh, it is very important also to move a step further, perhaps in the future, this is not communicated by this paper, but uh, to keep animal manure also in, in a, a place could also be, uh, we could use a high temperature composting in combination with the food waste to make sure that it attains a sanitizing temperature of about 55 degrees for about a week prior to application in a garden. It is very important because otherwise, if we continue to allow farmers to use uh, sludges or animal manure that is uh, contaminated and then gives them diseases, uh, this gives a very bad reputation to what we would like to pursue. And therefore, we must act and make sure that fertilizers are used in a safe and hygienic manner. Um, your findings indicate a significant difference between the field model results and the theoretical model results with the field model results showing much higher risks along the fecal sludge management chain. So I'm wondering if theoretical models can still be used by relevant practitioners as a reliable predictor of the actual microbial risks along the fecal sludge management and reuse chain. What would you say about the utility of these theoretical models? Thank you. 
Yeah, thank you very much, Daniel Diva. Of course, as you have rightly said, the uh, theoretical model really underestimates the risk. And, uh, and uh, But this had not been previously published, so we didn't know that. So the fact that we found out that it is, is underestimating the risk and therefore the need to collect the data, um, we really emphasize that data should be collected uh, so that um, we, 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 um, we um, analyze these microbial risks using data that is co collected from the field. So this is very important. As you are saying, according to the data that is communicated by this paper, which we have uh, extensively uh, analyzed, we think that the use of the theoretical model is underestimating the risk and therefore should not be pursued. But rather, we should collect the data and apply the field model, apply data that is coming from the field uh, to assess the microbial risks associated with the use of uh, uh, fecal sludge in agriculture. Thank you, Charles. So the next question is from Pavan Kumar Reddy. My name is Pavan Kumar Reddy. I'm a sanitation professional in India, working on designing fecal sludge treatment plants and wastewater treatment plants. My question is, in soil and sludge samples, E. coli was not detected. What is your comment on using E. coli as an indicator for fecal sludge contamination? Is it 100% justifiable? We, we know very well uh, the, the shortfalls of, the using, of using E. coli as an indicator of uh, fecal contamination that we actually know. In my opinion, the, the best would be to use uh, enterococcus or other indicators. However, uh, in spite of us knowing uh, some shortfalls of E. coli, Remember, we are looking at the pathogenic part of this E. coli, the what we call enterohemorrhagic E. coli. And it is because we can use a, a factor to transform um, what is E. coli into this enterohemorrhagic coli, which is the pathogenic coli. So, so um, and, and, and by the way, it is not that the soils had zero E. coli, it is just because it was below detection due to the method that we are using. Remember, we are diluting a sample because it is solid, we dilute it 10 times. And then from that dilution, we pick 0.1 and, uh, and put it on a plate. That method gives you a detection limit that is 100. So we could not detect organisms that were below 100. Uh, and therefore it is possible that uh, they are there, but they were below 100. And all, all, all we are saying is that they were below the, the, the detection limit, but we are not committing that they were zero. However, uh, as I said, there are better indicators. And I think in this case, uh, enterococcus would be better, but we used E. coli because we wanted to be in position to report about enterohemorrhagic, which is the uh, pathogenic coli part, and we can only use uh, E. coli uh, and some factors to transform into that enterohemorrhagic coli. And uh, our results, by the way, are also consistent with others that uh, have found just about uh, log, uh, 10 to power 2, 2 or 2.3 uh, in uh, soil samples where fecal sludge has been applied. So, it's not that it's wrong, uh, it's consistent with others, only that the method we are using does not enable us to determine E. coli that was below 100. Second question, based on 
uh, Asker is eggs varying probable illness percentage. Would you recommend reuse based standards over blanket standards for fecal cell treatment? Yeah, um, obviously, I agree that uh, reuse based standards are, are very important uh, and should be preferred over blanket standards for fecal sludge reuse. And uh, it's really, uh, when, when you combine them with the uh, with microbial risk assessment, just like was published in the uh, World Health Organization uh, standards, uh, I mean guidelines that support the use of wastewater excreta and gray water of 2006, it is not expected that you will have fecal sludge that will contain, for instance, zero uh, you know, organisms. There is a certain small number that can be accepted for different types of, of, of bacteria or even, or, or even um, ascaris, provided a quantitative microbial risk assessment is performed and the risks identified and measures taken to ensure that uh, um, this risk can be avoided. So I agree that it is better to uh, use uh, reuse-based standards rather than uh, blanket standards. Uh, for the use of fecal sludge in farming or in agricultural production. Final questions, Charles. In the last yes. three minutes, what are the top three takeaways that our audience should not forget about this paper? Audience should note that uh, uh, for farmers in uh, um, in rural areas or who are practicing uh, subsistence farming, that keep animals which roam in their gardens uh, during daytime. Uh, or even at night, um, uh, then um, these animals are actually imparting contamination. So we found background contamination in the soil. Therefore, it is important that the uh, animals are not left to loiter in the compound, um, uh, scattering excreta uh, in the, in the uh, uh, agricultural area, because this excreta is also a source of contamination in the soil. And therefore, the need for this excreta to be collected and gathered together and uh, perhaps composted so that it can also achieve high temperatures, in which case also pathogens will be inactivated before it is applied in the soil. The second uh, is that the sludge from the treatment plant is having a lot of um, useful nutrients and organic matter that could enhance uh, soil fertility. However, the safety of this sludge improves when the sludge is dried longer and also when it is kept longer at the treatment plant. And therefore, it is very important to respect these drying and storage times. In the drying bed, uh, drying time of about five to six weeks is considered sufficient. And also uh, the storage duration of between six months to one year, coupled with analysis uh, at the end of the storage time prior to selling uh, this uh, uh, fecal sludge. The last and most important is also that the, the fecal sludge has microbial risk. The use of fecal sludge is associated with microbial risks. These risks need to be communicated to the stakeholders involved. As I said, two, three types of stakeholders, the operators of the treatment plant to the workers, the farmers, as well as the consumers. The mitigation measures must be applied across all these chains. And for instance, for the workers to put on appropriate personal protective equipment, such as gumboots, uh, overalls, and um, uh, hand gloves. Uh, for the farmers, they also need to be protected, for instance, not to walk barefoot 
in a garden where fecal sludge has been applied, but rather also to put on protective gear, for instance, gumboots. When it comes to the consumers, after buying food from the market, by the way, whether it is from a garden where which was fertilized by, by fecal sludge or not, these leafy vegetables must be washed thoroughly prior to cooking them. And for instance, if they are really from a garden where they have been fertilized with fecal sludge, it is better that you apply on the food uh, crops and vegetables that will be cooked before they are eaten. Otherwise, the microbial risks will be higher. And uh, this will uh, hinder the, the reputation of this process that we are trying to promote, which we know that has a very big bearing towards uh, sustainable food uh, production and the uh, elimination uh, of hunger, and, and therefore they need to do it correctly uh, and in place mitigation measures for these microbial risks. That's great. So... I would like to thank you, Charles, for joining us today. And also a special thanks goes to the reviewers, Pavan and Daniel. We really hope you found today's episode interesting and relevant. Be sure to check out the sanitation library at, at www.susana.org for papers to practice. You will find the latest episodes there, or you can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, directly on Anchor or whatever podcast platform you use. To find out more about the work of Charles, visit his page on Google Scholar. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, if you have papers you would like us to review or topics you want us to investigate, or if you just would like to be involved in other ways, please email us at dorothy.spooler at airwalk.ch or laura at alcohol at cost.org. Thanks again and see you next month.